0: Well, thank you guys. That was really exciting. So, what was meant to happen in this talk was that I was going to outline all the reasons why you should become a Christian if you're not a Christian. And then I was going to give you a chance to become a Christian. Well, we've already done that. So, I'll just go sit down. <laughs> Isn't it good that uh, God doesn't need me to bring people to Him? So, what we're going to do now is I'm just going to do the same talk that I was going to do, because I've been trying to do this talk for about three weeks, and by golly, I'm going to get it done. And uh, we're just going to, you know, see what God has to say, and uh, we will, if nothing else, we'll enjoy the goodness of God and His holiness. But also, I think there's plenty for us in how do we live our lives with a God who calls us to be holy. So, uh, let's have a look at that. I'm going to say a quick prayer. No, I'm not. I will. But first, actually, let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, or 1 Peter, if you're American. Does anyone remember that time, if you followed the American presidential campaign at all, where Donald Trump referred to, like, 1 Corinthians as 1 Corinthians, and it was meant to be 1 Corinthians, and everyone's was like, he is not a real Christian, he said 1 Corinthians. I'm like, oh my goodness, there is not a Christian in Australia, because we all say 1 Corinthians and 2 Peter and stuff. So anyway, if you want to know you're saved, figure out how you na- you call your books. Yep, My favorite book is Proverbs, and I love the book of Johan and Ezekiel. All right, where are we? 1 Peter. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read all the way from verse 13 right through to verse 16. See if you can stay awake. Here we go. This is what it says. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed it is coming. As obedient ch- children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I'm going to pray that God would help me to speak. If you're willing, pray for me. Uh, Father God, we thank you that you give us your word. We thank you that you give us your spirit. I pray now that You will fill me with Your Spirit, that I may speak clearly, that I might say what You want me to say. I pray that You will fill all of us with Your Spirit, that we might hear You speaking, and that we might be changed because of Your voice. Amen. When I was in school, I was particularly good at science, and that's not because I love science, it's just that somehow... I magically was good at science. Like, I would just do well in science tests. We would do those science competitions, and I would win them. Uh, If you were here last year, I told the story about how I won a science competition and got bullied because of it. Well, I kept doing these science competitions. I kept doing well. I got, you know, like, first place in my class regularly, just because it just kind of made sense to me, the kind of the biology did, and the the physics kind of did and, you know, the chemistry kind of did. It all just kind of made sense to me. So one day, one of my science teachers came to me and they said, Tom, uh, we reckon you might be really good for the accelerated program. And in those days, there wasn't a lot of accelerated programs going on, so I didn't really know what it was. They said, Tom, you would do your school certificate a year early and then you would do uh, year 11 in year 10 and then you would do year 12 in year 11 and then you'd sit your HSC at the end of year 11, and would you like to do that? And they asked me and this other guy called Carl, and I thought about it a lot, and I was like, well, maybe. And then I thought, well, you know what? When you get to year 11 and year 12, particularly year 12, you get free periods for study. And if you have a free period at the beginning of the day, you get to come in to school late. And if you have a free period at the end of the day, you get to go home at lunchtime. So I thought to myself, well, yeah, I did the calculations in my head. I'm like, if I do biology, say, a year early, then I would have twice the amount of free periods that I would if I didn't do that, which means that I would maximize my potential sleep-ins and my potential going home early times or going to McDonald's and then going home early. Like, that that's would be great. And so I thought... That makes sense. I will do my HSC for biology a year early because I would love to sleep in more and I would love to ter- go home early. That is a good idea. Let's do it. So I signed up for the accelerated program, and uh, me and Carl, we were, we did our school certificate, and then we kind of sat in the, the biology lab and we did our did the year eleven and the year twelve work kind of all in like one year. We did really quickly, and uh, we, then the uh, exam came round and. We, we set it together. We set the HSC, and, uh, and then the results came out. And I got my results, and my results were like 65. I was like, 65? Yes! That's fantastic. That's like 15 more than, than a pass. I am a freaking genius. Good on me. And think of all the free periods I now have in the future. This is perfect. And then I found out Carl's mark, and Carl got 98. I was like... 98. That's a lot. And what's more, Carl, he did better than everyone else who was in year 12 that year. He did better than everyone else who was older than him. He duxed the year. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, maybe I misunderstood this accelerated program thing. Maybe they wanted me to be the ducks of the school also, like Tom and Carl, leaders of the school, winners of biology, and I just wanted free periods. Like, we had totally different expectations about what was going to happen there, and I thought I was a success until I realized I totally was not a success. Now, I think that probably we have some different views of ourselves in this room. There are some of you who are like me, that you are near enough is good enough kind of people. You're like, if you get 51% in an exam, you're like, yes, that is 1% more than I needed. Wow, I am a genius. Good on me. Like, you're that person. And then there are others of you who just want to win. You are maybe a little bit more like Carl. Now, I never asked Carl what he is like. Uh, You know, we were, you know, high school boys, we didn't really talk at all, except like, ear, 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 biology. Ear. That's how we talked. But, uh, but chances are, some of you, you just really want to win. You want to get 100%. And if you don't get 100%, you are very disappointed with yourself you know that the highest ATAR you can get is 99.95, and you are angry at the world because you cannot get 100. You're like, this is the worst. I cannot be perfect. Why is it like this? The world is out to get me. You just want to be the best. And you have this expectation of yourself. Now, We kind of have these different views of ourselves, and when we look at the expectations that the Bible places on us, we see that the Bible's expectations are even higher than the expectations we have on ourselves. In the passage we saw there, it tells us to be holy because God is holy. Be holy because God is holy, and the standards for holiness that the Bible has are higher than the standards that we have for ourselves. When we look at God, and to understand His holiness, we have to look at who He is as a person. And we see that God's holiness means not just that He's pretty great, but that He is totally perfect, that He's totally unique in His creative abilities, totally unique in His all-encompassing power, He is distinct in his power. There is no one like God in all of creation. God is holy because he is separate from everyone in his goodness, in his greatness, in his love, in his kindness, in his power, in his judgment, in his mercy. Everything about God is holy and and beyond us. And now the Bible says, Be holy like God is holy, and that is something impossible for us. We cannot reach that holiness. And the problem with God's holiness is, one, is that it is very beautiful, like that we see God's holiness and we're like, yes, that is so wonderful, so unique, so beautiful. There is nothing else like it. I would love to be near that. I would love to be part of that. I would love to be caught up in God's holiness, but we cannot get too close or else we will get in trouble or else we will die, the Bible tells us. It's like if you look at a fire, I guess many of you have spent time staring at a fire like I have, and you stare at a fire, and it's there, and it's, and it's unique in the way that it works. Like, there isn't much in the, in the world that behaves like fire does, and you look deep into the fire, and I see those coals in the fire, and I look at them glowing coals. I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. I'd love to just grab one and hold it in my hands. Like, oh, I could just stare at it. It'd be so nice. Maybe I could see the mysteries of the universe, but all I would see was my hand falling apart before my eyes. It would destroy my hand because I cannot get too close to it. And the holiness of God is, is wonderful and beautiful, but we cannot get too close to it. If we come into the presence of God, the Bible tells us that if we come as ourselves, we will be destroyed because we are people who are not holy people. We have broken God's laws. We have not lived up to our own ideals, and we definitely have not lived up to His ideals. Anytime that we have lied or gossiped, or anytime that we have, you know, encouraged rivalries between friends, anytime that we have, you know, partied just a little too hard, and we know that we have gone too far, Anytime when we have fought against our parents, when we knew we should have been honoring them, we have broken God's laws. And anytime we have said, God, actually, I don't care about what you say. I'm going to do my own thing. We have made ourselves impure. We have made ourselves unholy. And we have meant that we cannot come into the presence of God. The Bible tells us that, you know, Moses, when he was at the burning bush, uh, he was told by God, do not come any closer because the ground you are on is holy. Moses was an unholy man, and he would be destroyed if he came too close to God. And in Hebrews ten thirty one it tells us it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you and I come before God as we are by ourselves, we will be destroyed. And some of us respond to the holiness of God in a number of ways. Some of us be like, we understand what God is like. And we think to ourselves that God is the perfectionist. God is the one who wants 100%. God is the one who wants 100% and we can only reach 9995 and we cannot ever make it there. And we always feel stressed about this relationship with God that we cannot be good enough for Him. I am not a particularly stressy person. Like, generally, I, I don't have a lot of best friends, but I don't have a lot of mortal enemies. I just kind of get on with everyone okay. Everything's just normally fine. But the relationships, the one relationship that I do often stress about is the relationship that I have with my boss at work. Like, any kind of work, I stress about I always think that they think they're not doing a good enough job. And the first long-term boss that I had was the boss at the local cinema that I worked at. And for him, nothing was ever good enough. Like, my, the, the vacuuming of the carpet was never quite good enough, and the popcorn was never quite popped properly enough, and, and the, the, you know, the serving of the drinks was never quite served well enough. Like, nothing quite worked. And then I, I left that job, and I never had to think about him again, but I do think about him regularly at night when I'm sleeping. I dream about my boss. It's the worst. And I, I have dreams that I'm back at work, and I'm just not vacuuming the carpet quite right. And he comes out. It's like, what are you doing, Tom? Like, I'm sorry, I can't do it. And then, some point in the dream, I'm like, hold on, I was 18 then. I'm 34 now. I quit that job a while ago. I can walk out of here. So I'm like, stuff you, boss. I'm out of here. And then it's the happiest dream of my life as I walk out. Go, yay! It feels great. And I think some of us respond to God like that. Some of us are like God is the perfectionist God and you just work and you work and you work to try and keep him happy, but you know he will never ever be happy. And so you either respond like I will just keep working, or you respond by saying, I'm just gonna give up. Why should I even bother? I'll just do whatever the heck I want because I cannot make him happy, so I will just I'll just live my life the way I want, no worries. But then others of you are like, no, I actually don't think God is like that. That doesn't really work for me. I think God is more like the near enough is good enough kind of guy. That God is just kind of like a kindly old man in the sky and he sees our sin and he just has a little bit of a chuckle. It's like, oh, 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 you total lie, (laughs) oh, 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 you stabbed your grandma, (laughs) oh, oh, oh. It's not that funny, but that's how we think about it. We think God will just wipe our sin away. He doesn't care. It's not a worry. Don't worry about it. You know, I have three nephews. One of them is six months old. Whatever he does, everyone thinks it's cute. No problem. I have two other nephews. One is three and one is six. And they are really cute as well, but they also do the wrong thing sometimes. And it stresses their mom out and stresses their dad out. Me, I just think it's pretty funny. Like when they when my three-year-old had a tantrum because his mum like took some cotton wool out of her ear and threw it in the bin. He had a tantrum for that. I don't know why. I thought it was pretty funny. (laughs) And then she went and she she cut some pumpkin. That's it. And he had a tantrum. I don't know why. When he has a tantrum for the silliest things, I just think it's funny. It stresses his mom out, but I think it's hilarious. And then when him and his older brother have really rude conversations with me, when they, you know, make lots of inappropriate toilet jokes, I should be like, oh, that's not good. But I'm like, let me teach you some more. (laughs) Because I just think it's funny. And we think God is like the kindly uncle who's like, oh, yeah, Oh, oh, no worries. And He laughs. But he's not like the kindly uncle, he's probably more like the parent who actually cares when their kids do the wrong thing. He actually is concerned about our behavior. And so if we have a God who has these expectations of us, of how we behave, and we know that we haven't lived up to it, and we will not live up to it, how do we solve the problem? If we cannot enter God's presence on our own merits and our own goodness, there has to be some other way around it. Maybe we can get in on somebody else's merits. So maybe some way, there's some other way to get in. There's another system in place. My great-grandfather uh, was, never trusted my grandfather and his brother to do well in school. So in school, my grandfather, uh, he would go to school, he'd do his work, and my great-grandfather would go and visit his teachers. And over the year, he'd visit the teachers, and then he'd just strategically bring them a goose, Or he'd bring him a pig. And then at the end of the year, no matter how well my grandfather or his brother did in school, they always got A's. They always did really, really well because my great-grandfather lubricated the wheels of education with small farm animals. Everyone just did well. And then when, you know, quite a while later when my dad was in university... My great-grandfather said to my dad, oh, where are you at university? And they were in England at the time. And my dad said, oh, I'm at London University. And my great-grandfather said, oh, that's a shame. I don't know anyone there. And my poor father had to make it through university without a single strategically placed goose to get him good marks. He had to do it all on his own. And maybe there's some sort of kind of system of farm animals that God has set up for us so that we might be acceptable to him. Funnily enough, when you look in the Old Testament, there is one there. But it's not that anybody gets bribed. But what it tells us in the Old Testament is that the people of God, if they wanted to be acceptable to God, if they wanted to be cleansed of their sin, uh, they would bring an animal, uh, an unblemished lamb or or a goat or some other animal, if they were a bit uh, poorer, and they'll bring it to the, the priest, and the priest would kill it on their behalf. And then the animal, because the animal was killed on their behalf, would, then they would be, uh, their sins would be you know, wiped clean until they needed to bring a new animal. And so because of these animals, uh, these people could become acceptable to God. Now, if you were in this system, you might think it's a pretty good system. Uh, you would notice, though, that it might be expensive. Like, if you are a, a family, an ancient Middle Eastern family, and you have to give one of your animals to God to give up its life, if you're going to lose an animal so that you might be set free from your sin, then that's, that costs you quite a lot. But i tell you who it costs more for. It's the animal. Poor old animal doesn't get to go away at the end of this. The animal loses its life. And that might even be kind of offensive to me. Like, if I was like, you know, God sees me and, and we kill a goat, and then God is like, yeah, that's good enough. I will spare your life because we killed a goat. I'm like, am I all I am is a goat to you, God? Is that me? Like, could I just live my life now on the side of a hill, eating grass and headbutting people I don't like, and that would be fine? My life is just worth a goat to you, God? Well, the truth is that the goat was never enough. The goat was never a good enough substitute for us. The goat was always pointing to the one that was to come, the one who would give their life as a blood sacrifice on our behalf. And that is where Jesus comes in. In Jesus, we see that God has come to us as a man, God has come and lived with us, and taught us how to live. A man who healed people, and did miracles, and showed people the holiness of God. Jesus was the holiness of God, embodied in a man, so that humanity might come face to face with God. And then that man, Jesus, went to the cross. And on the cross he died, and his blood was shed for us so that we might be forgiven for our sin, so that we might be made holy. Jesus was perfectly good. He lived up to God's standards. He was exactly who we needed. He lived with us, and He lived for us, and He died for us. And we see in Jesus not just the holiness of God, but we see the love of God. That God would love us so much that He would give His life for us at the cross. In Jesus, the perfect love of God and the perfect holiness of God meets. And in Jesus, if we trust in Him, we get life. The story of the New Testament tells us that when Jesus died, there was, there was a curtain in the temple... And we don't need to go too much into this. But there was a place in the temple which was the Holy of Holies, which is where God's presence was. And there was a curtain separating humanity from God. Because if we were to step in the presence of God, we would be destroyed. The curtain was there to protect us from God. But when Jesus died, the curtain ripped from top to bottom. And we saw that we could now, because of Jesus, enter the holy presence of God because our sin was forgiven and we were made holy. And not only that, it was not just so that we could come into God's holy presence, but that God's holy presence could flow out from the temple to the people. That now the holiness of God could be in the world. And what we see in the Bible is that holy presence is the Holy Spirit. The person of God has come to be with us on earth so that we do not, in fact, have to enter God's presence, but God's holy presence enters us. We become holy because Jesus makes us holy at the cross. We become holy because God's holy presence lives in us. And now we are called to be holy because God is holy. So the question is, how? How do you do that? How do you just be holy? How do you live a holy life? Well, if you look at this passage, uh, you will see uh, that it tells us what we should do. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your heart on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And what what Peter, who wrote this, is saying is saying, now that you are holy, live in a way, a manner that is holy. Your identity is holy, so let your actions be holy. Let your actions reflect your identity. God is holy. God has made you holy. Now resist those desires that you used to have. Flee from them. Do not go anywhere near them, so that you might live a holy life, that you might live a life free of sin. Let your identity Sorry, let your actions reflect your identity. When I was six years old, I loved rugby league. Like, I wanted to be the greatest rugby league player in the world. So I went and I signed up. Uh, I got my parents to take me to the tryouts. I signed up for a team called the Asquith Magpies. They were probably the greatest team in all of Asquith. And uh, in that team, at my trial, when I first played it, I got the ball, and I was so excited. I ran down the field, and everyone was cheering. It's like, yeah, 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 shouting at me. It's like, yeah, I'm going to score a try. I was like, yeah. I was running. I was running. And then, and then I realized that everyone was yelling at me, and they weren't going, go, Tom. They were like, wrong way, wrong way. I was running the totally wrong way down the field. So I had to turn around and run back. And that was probably like my greatest moment in two years of playing rugby league. I was a terrible, terrible rugby league player. My identity was that I was a rugby league player, but my actions did not look like it at all. Like when we had to tackle people, I would be the first one up. They'd play the ball, and I'd run, and I'd get to the person who had the ball, and then I'd just stop, and I'd watch as they ran past me. I didn't tackle anyone for the first year, and in the second year, I tackled two people. One of them sat on my head, and the other one was the ref. So I wasn't that good. My identity was a rugby league player, but my actions looked like a drama kid. And so I quit, and I joined drama. And I'll tell you what, I killed it at theater sports. I was the best. So finally, I found somewhere my actions and my identity, they could fit together. Well, Paul is saying that our identity is that we are holy children of God. We are saved by God. We are loved by God. We We are part of his family. So now we live it out. We let our actions reflect our identity. Do your actions reflect your identity? How many people know that you are a Christian? How many of your friends know you are a Christian? And how many of your friends would know that you are a Christian, not because of the things you say, or because of the camps you go to in your holidays, but because of the way you actually live your life. Because of the way they see you behave when you're among your friends. Because of the way they see you behave when you're at a party. Because of the way they see you treat your parents, or the way they see you treat your boyfriend or your girlfriend. How many people know that you are a Christian? You might be holy in your in who you are, but you may not be holy in how you are living. Don't be a secret Christian. I was at a party with my wife once and there were a lot of kind of people there who didn't know Jesus and a lot of people who weren't Christians and we were chatting and they, these guys knew that we were Christians and then so the conversation kind of turned to Christian subjects, more controversial Christian subjects that we can, you know, Christians can just get in trouble for and they always just came back to us and uh, there was, that was fine, you know, we're used to that. But there was, a, there was a guy there who, as we were talking, he said a few things where I was like, you haven't said that you're a Christian, but I think you might be a Christian. Like, the things that you say, like, he used some kind of key Christian f- phrases. I can't remember exactly what they were, but things like, uh, and it's, what he was, he was actually, like, quite attractive, and he was a, uh, a television presenter. I don't know the show, so don't ask me. I'm not going to defame any presenters. I don't, can't, I don't know at all. But anyway, but, He said things like, I feel like I am called to television. I'm like, bing, bing, Christian radar, you're called. Ah." And then he'd say things, he'd say other things like, yeah, you know, when I go to McDonald's, I just really want to love on the McDonald's employees. I'm like, oh, you want to love on the McDonald's employees, do you? See, either you're a Christian or you're doing something illegal. So You're probably probably a Christian. And then we kind of heard at another point that he, uh, he, that he went to a Christian school. I'm like, oh, yeah, I think you might be a Christian. But most of his life, the things he talked about, it seemed like he just wanted to spend most of his life sleeping with attractive people and getting drunk on boats. And when we looked at his Instagram feed, most of his Instagram feed was like hanging, sleeping with attractive people and getting drunk on boats. But then there was one shot where it was like this concert picture. It was like, sick concert. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh. Sick concert. It's like, I recognize that stage. And I know what time you posted that. That is not a sick concert. That is a Christian conference. You are at a Christian conference. You're trying to trick everyone at being a, at, a, at a Christian, at, a, at a, some kind of crazy concert, and really, you're there praising Jesus. And I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect that this guy, when he's hanging out with the Christians, he's a Christian. And when he's hanging out with people who aren't Christians, he's not a Christian. He's a secret Christian, and we just happened to meet him in the wrong context, and we didn't recognize him as a brother. How many people would know that you are a Christian? How many people would look at the way you live and say, that person follows Jesus, that person takes their faith seriously? How many would know? You know, the call to be holy is not about just being good but it's about reflecting God's character. Remember we talked at the beginning about how holiness is beautiful and we see the holiness of God and we just want to be close to it because if we are close to it, we are close to true beauty. Well, when we reflect God's holiness, when we are holy people, we reflect the beauty of God to the world. The reason to be holy is not just to be good, but so that the world might see how good God is. That they might see the beauty of God in the way that you live and they might be attracted to Him because of how you live. You know, God isn't waiting for you to get 100%. And God isn't angry at you because of your failures. And God isn't holding everything you've done against you. It's all been taken care of by Jesus at the cross. And if you don't live up to God's holy standards, you don't have to beat yourself up because He is going to forgive you again and again and again, and He's given you the Holy Spirit so that you might live out that holiness. Not that you have to do it all yourself, but being led by the Spirit, you might live the holy life, and people would see the holiness of God reflected in the way you live, see the beauty of God, and they might be attracted to Him too. So let's be people who be holy, who live holy lives reflecting the beauty of God in the world because we have the holy God living within us who has made us holy so that we can live for him in the world. If you are someone who is not a Christian and you didn't come forward the front before because you're like, oh, I'm still wondering about it, then let me say this to you. Good on you for still thinking about it. Don't rush into these things because the call to follow Jesus is a big call. But take it seriously and know that you will never live up to God's standards. But you can live up to God's standards because of what Jesus has done for you. You can have God's holy presence in you. And you don't have to beat yourself up for being not good enough. You don't have to make God into someone who's not. You just trust in Jesus. So spend time looking into that and figuring out how am I going to be good enough for God if it's for me? Or will I trust in Jesus who has been good enough on my behalf? And if you are a Christian, then what this means for you is maybe there's some of you who you just need to get your picture of God right. That is not the angry perfectionist who is angry at you every time you stuff up that He's a loving Father who knows that you're not going to live up to the standards that He has set, and He sent His Son, Jesus, so that you might be saved anyway. That is true love. He's not holding your failures against you, so you have to stop holding your failures against yourself. Or for others of you who are treating God like near enough is good enough, it's time to live the life of holiness that He calls you to. To be holy, so that you might reflect the beauty of God to the world, that they might see the goodness of God in you and they might be attracted to Him and put their trust in Him. How about we stand, and Matt is going to come up and join me. Uh, we're going to um, give you the opportunity to, to receive from God now. And I think the two things that maybe God wants to work on are those two things uh, that I said. And uh, those two things being one that you know, you're beating yourself up, you're holding your failures against you when he doesn't. And you just want God's help to let them go. And then there are others of you, and maybe these are two same things that are conflicting within you, uh, but that you know that you are not living the way that that you should, that you are not living as a holy Christian within the world, reflecting the beauty of God, and you want to say, I want my life to look like Jesus everywhere. If that's you, we want to pray for you, but uh, the way I think maybe we should do this is at the moment... Um, we just wait. And if you feel the weight of that in you, then step forward. If you feel like this is something that God is, wants to do in you, step forward, but don't, don't come until you feel like this is what God is saying to me. That God wants to do this in me and then we will spend time praying with you and worshiping Him. So let's, let's just spend time waiting and if you feel God calling you, come forward.